Good morning, everyone. And a special good morning to those who are here for your next step on your spiritual journey. I hope God has something for all of us this morning on this Sunday of joy. We begin this Sunday of joy with uh, Scrooge, the uh, 1951 Alistair Sims movie. And we begin with Ebenezer Scrooge, who is probably one of the most joyless characters in literature. We contrast him to our passage this morning from the Gospel of Luke, which surrounds verse 10 of chapter 2, where it says, Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This morning we light the candle of joy. It's the rose-colored candle in an Advent wreath. Mm-hmm. And this morning I want to ask, is joy a good idea? Is joy responsible? Is joy go along with common sense? Isn't joy a trap? Right? You, you have joy that you're having kids and then they, they turn into troubled teens on you. You have joy that you're starting a family and then the family breaks apart. You have joy for your life and then your health comes off the rails. I mean, we're lighting candles and singing I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Children throughout the world are starving to death while we sing and light candles. Contrasted to that is this crazy story of joy the scriptures seem to call us to. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in their fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the glory of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. A Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Recalling all those ancient prophecies about the city of David and a king who would come to bring good news and great joy. Oh, yeah, a new king is, is great news. It is. So can this new king promise that I'll never get sick again? Can this new king promise my family won't split up at least? Can this new king promise the children will stop starving? Okay, I thought not. So where's this great joy again? Well, the answer comes back, you have to go to Bethlehem and see it. You have to follow Jesus in order to see how he can bring you a joy even in the midst of those things. Ah, okay. Sounds mysterious. Worse than that, sounds risky. My first year as a pastor here, uh, Young man came up after service. He and I had grown up in the same neighborhood. And we went back to my office and he told me how his life had turned out since we were kids. And it had not turned out good. And he said, I'm looking for something new. And I said, I do believe if you follow this Lord Jesus Christ, he will lead you to that new thing you're looking for. He said, oh yeah, How's, what's that look like? I said, well, I don't know. It's different for everyone. It's a journey of faith. He said, ah, Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I said, well, your life's already miserable. What are you afraid of? He said, it sounds like to me you would rather have 
your known misery than take a risk on being disappointed by an unknown joy. He laughed. He goes, yeah, you've nailed it. That's exactly what I'm doing. And he left my office, and as far as I know, that's exactly what he did. I pray it's not true. But this is where we are as a culture. This is where we are as a culture. We would rather have our known pain and our known anxiety than risk the disappointment of some unknown joy letting us down. We train each other in this way of thinking. We train teenagers to resist joy every time we say to them, what are you griping about? These are the best years of your life. It's all downhill from here. Best training we do against joy is two words. Just wait. I think we learned this from somewhere else, but my wife and I call this the just wait list. This is when people say to you, oh, you're happy now? <laughs> well, just wait. <laughs> so, uh, so you're uh, engaged and your fiance so romantic. Well, just wait till you're married. All that romance goes right out the window. Oh, you're happily married? Well, just wait till your second year. That was a tough year for us. We barely made it. I bet you won't make it. Oh, you've been married three years now and you're still in love? Well, just wait till you have kids. Kids ruin it all. Oh, you have a bouncing baby and they're just the joy of your life? Well, just wait till they turn into a toddler, sick all the time, running around into everything. You love your toddler? Well, just wait till they turn into a teenager, mouthy and angsty. And so you're proud of your teenager? Well, just wait till they move out and you have to shell out all that money for school. And then just when you think it's over, they move back in. You're never free. Just wait. So your kids are off and you got grandkids and you're having a good time? Well, just wait till you're too old to enjoy it. Just wait till you're broken down and sick and nothing works anymore. Wipe that smile off your face. The worst is yet to come, I promise you. We say these things to each other every day. I, truthfully, I don't know if I blame everyone for talking this way. I risked joy several times as a kid and lost every time. Months after our parents were divorced, our mom moved a monster into the house with us. He beat her. He psychologically tortured and threatened us kids. I spent 10 years in that house being afraid. I used to pack kitchen knives into something I could carry with me when we went on family outings because he would often use family outings as a time to attack us. He knew if we started to have a little joy, we started to have a little fun, we'd all let our guard down, and then our terror would be twice as great when he turned on us. I learned, even if you're swimming at the beach, to listen for the screams of your mom on the shore. He kept a loaded double-barrel shotgun underneath the living room sofa. And I always thought, someday somebody in this house is going to pull that out and kill someone. I often wondered if I shouldn't go for it first. These are not the thoughts a 12-year-old should be thinking. And every year, my mom would write, every other year about, my mom would write me a letter. She'd left him. He was gone. And I'd be filled with joy at what was now to come. But by the time I'd show up there next Christmas, he was always back again. 
sitting in that chair and leering and laughing at us as if to say, you didn't really think you were ever going to be rid of me, did you? Monsters have a way of coming back by Christmas. Like the rest of you, I learned not to let joy in, not to let my guard down, not to be caught in that joyful place where the terrors of this world hit you twice as hard. I strung barbed wire around my heart and that is how I survived. And that's how you survived. And that's how we became more than what our childhood story would have indicated we would be. So no wonder that when we hear the joy of following Jesus can't be described, we say, well, then no thank you. No wonder when we hear it's a journey of faith, you can't know the destination before you even start, we say, well, never mind. We find ourselves this morning having a lot more in common with Ebenezer Scrooge than we care to admit. Ebenezer Scrooge, who was sent away from his home to a boarding school as a boy because his father didn't want to see his face anymore reminded him too much of his dead wife. Ebenezer Scrooge, who wasn't invited to come back and live with the family until it was too late, the damage was done. The walls around the heart were built. The saddest part of the joyless life is that those of us who practice it actually think we're helping. We actually think we're the smart ones. We actually think we're the ones who figured life out. We actually think we're protecting ourselves from disappointment. We actually believe in the heart we have left, that we're helping our spouse and children avoid pain by being there with a cold cup of water to pour on all their hopes. No, 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 son, don't be feeling joy. It hurts so bad to lose that. Look, look, look at mommy and repeat after me. I'm sure it will get worse. No, daughter, don't, don't get caught up in joy like that. Look, this is what we say in this family. We'll see. We'll see. Remember, children, monsters have a way of coming back to the house by Christmas. And slowly, slowly, we take out this shield and we suffocate our family. Pretty soon, they're afraid to show that they're happy around us because they know we're waiting with a wet blanket. We suffocate the work of God in us. No one, no one sees any good news in us anymore. Pretty soon, we suffocate our own soul. And you know what the dying gasp of our soul is? What? I was just being realistic. That does not come from God. That sad, diseased way of thinking, it is satanic. In Dickens' Christmas Carol, it was Scrooge who said, Bob Cratchit, you make 15 shillings a week and you're trying to raise a family. What have you got to be merry about? It wasn't Bob Cratchit who was talking that way. In fact, even after Scrooge tries to cut him off at the knees with that icy line, Bob Cratchit closes the door and then he giggles and he goes over and he puts on his scarf and he goes home to celebrate. Bob Cratchit goes home to celebrate. Flat broke, terminally ill child, 
trying to raise a family that's much too big, but he has an irresistible joy. And after Scrooge's big journey that Christmas night, in which Scrooge sees the world as it really is. Now, it's not a candy-coated world. Scrooge sees the heights and the depths of what humanity brings. After he sees the whole picture, what does Scrooge do? He rushes into work one morning and sets up a funny practical joke for Bob Cratchit. And then he says, why am I so happy? I don't have any business being so happy. But I can't help it. I just can't help myself. And that irresistible joy changes his life. Am I telling you this morning to ignore the poor? Am I telling you this morning to just get over the fact that you're sick? Am I telling you, well, you've lost a loved one, but you should just move on? No. I would never, I would never say that to you. I am saying to consider your God. Consider your God who is able to see and to feel all the pain of all the world at all times of each day and yet is also able to look at the one good thing. Consider your God who on Christmas Day, with everything that was going on in the world, chose to look at a baby who is the hope of the world. And like a crazed first-time father, he runs out onto a hillside to anybody who's there, shepherds, and he says, I have a son. You have no idea how long I've waited for this. You have no idea what he's going to do. And when that just doesn't seem to be enough, he tears a hole in the sky and out of that hole pours more angels than can be counted and they sing. I'm not telling you to not cry and to not feel the pain of your loss. I'm saying there is a joy that comes, not to cover it, to sit beside it and to be there too. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the army of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That's why on this third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy. That rose-colored candle. <laughs> I really like how you get a fireball once the gas builds up. <laughs> now, two years ago, I stood here on the Sunday of joy, and I said, joy is an act of defiance against the circumstances of your life. It's an emotion you feel in spite of what's happening. Uh, this year, I want to say to you, joy is an act of defiance against yourself. Joy is an act of defiance against all the survival skills you've built up that tell you only to feel guilt and only to feel sorrow because those are safe emotions that no one can take away from you. Joy is an act of defiance that says, I'll feel something else, thank you. Join with the angels is the invitation. There, there are the angels praising God, a God who can also see the good thing. Let's change the just wait list to something totally different. 
oh, you're, uh, you're uh, engaged to be married and you're full of romance. Well, just wait. Just wait till you're married. And you wake up each morning with someone who wanted to be with you. And you're into that first or second year when it just, all oh, the wheels fall off and you're thinking, you tricked me. You never told me how weird you were before we got married. <laughs> just wait. Just wait because when you have survived that, it's going to change you. You won't be as uptight as you used to be. Or you'll learn to get a little more organized. You'll be more in touch with your emotions than you used to be. Or you'll learn to think rationally and just calm down and think it through sometimes. You'll learn to be more social. Or you'll learn how to appreciate some quiet time by yourself. You don't always have to be surrounded by a party. You'll learn not to be such a tightwad. Or you'll learn how to save a dollar and meet a goal every once in a while. The conflict of those first few years of marriage are just the clangs and the sparks of a miracle being welded together. Sing with the angels. And just wait till you have kids. Just wait till you're holding a baby. Oh, and they get sick and they're so helpless, but what they need is just you. And cherish holding them that way because although they'll always need you, you won't always be able to hold them just like this. Oh, don't wish this away too fast. And when they're toddlers and they're into everything, when you come home and you're dead tired, what do they do? Every day, like it's a new holiday that's never happened before, they run to the stairs and they squeal and they tackle you. No matter how tired you are, you gotta get down on the floor and have a wrestle right then because I'm telling you someday they won't even notice that you came home. Sing with the angels. And when they become teenagers, just wait. You'll finally be able to tell them a truth. These are not the best years of your life. I would not go back to high school if you paid me to do it. But these are the best years for some things. These are the best years for you to have those long talks and, and highly invested friendships that you can hang out with you know, every night or something. Just, and, and take advantage of that. Don't just be working and achieving all the time. Go on a field trip with the youth group at church. Go do that. Go walk around town in a big gang and laugh and make way too much noise. If old people aren't giving you a dirty look, you're too quiet. <laughs> Go on a hiking trail. Go to a concert. Go see what's out there. These are the best years for you to put your mind to a goal and do something you can never do again. So, so master something new. Decide what you want to do and pour all your free time into it until you're the, the best you can be at that thing. And just wait. Just wait till they move out. And you get your house back and your spouse back and your wallet back. <laughs> Sing with the angels. And just wait till you get old. Just wait till you're old. And every other week, everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off, saying the sky is falling. But you know, after your many years, that whatever it is, everybody's all worked up about, this too is going to pass. And you become the solid center of the community. Just wait. Rather than going through life gripping the armrest of your life with white knuckles saying, oh God, I know that this could get worse. Please don't let it. Please don't let it. Stand up. Stand up with your special needs child. Stand up with your cancer. Stand up with your overdrafted checkbook and say, I know there's joy around here somewhere and by God, I'm going to find it. 
And by God, I'm going to be a part of it. Let yourself feel joy again. Stop saying, well, we'll see. I'm sure it won't last. It'll get worse, I know. Feel joy today. If the rug gets yanked out from under you tomorrow, you've all become very skilled at handling that disappointment. You will be able to deal with it. But don't let the possible pain of tomorrow steal from you the present joy of today. Sing with the angels. Now, I am not an optimist trying to preach to you the gospel of being an optimist. Go ask my wife after service. He seems like a really positive person. And watch her struggle not to laugh. I too used to, I too survived abuse, survived neglect, survived alcoholic family, rejection by peers, an endless string of disappointments by stringing barbed wire around my heart and not giving in to joy. But I want to tell you that after a time it suffocated me. It stranded me alone. It twisted my mind. People I loved thought I was crazy and I thought they were the crazy ones. And then sitting at my dinner table one night, Catherine Krause, a good friend from here in the church, she said to me, those skills that helped you survive as a child are now no longer needed. The shell has protected the seed. But if that shell doesn't now fall away, the tree will never grow. Outside your shell that has kept you safe, maybe just inches above the dark soil that's covering you, the light of joy is blazing down and waiting for you to grow up into it. Now, I'm also a biologist, so I know not all seeds have shells. So Catherine was trying to tell me that I'm a very special kind of seed called a nut. But this nut has cracked. And I did find that the light of joy was just this far above me, waiting for me to grow up into it. So this morning, I will worship. I will worship in joy. And I invite you to worship with me. I invite you to take all the blessings of your life and lay them out in this sanctuary in your mind's eye this morning where you can see them. What are you grateful for? What do you have? What has God done for you? What is good and true and beautiful in this world this morning? And we're going to celebrate with a feast. So those who are preparing communion, you want to come forward and get ready. And I'm talking fast, so you might want to hustle. Because the Lord, on the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken. But it's broken for you. And he took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood that will be poured out. But it will bring the forgiveness of sin. All this broken body and spilled blood, it is a bringing you all home to God, he said. And when you take this bread and take this cup, you remember that someday I will eat and drink this with you in a feast at my return and the establishment of my kingdom. When you come down the center aisles and you tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the chalice and take it in, you are practicing for a feast to come, a new feast with the kingdom of God. 
So yes, you come down these center aisles and we'll be singing. We'll be singing in joy. And when you tear off a piece of bread, the person holding it says, bread of heaven, the body of Christ. You will not be able to hear them because we're singing so loud. But their mouth is moving and, and that's what they're saying. And when you tear off a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup and they say, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, the peace of the Lord be with you. And when you see their lips stop moving, you can say, and also with you. And you take that into yourself and you're practicing for the celebration of the coming Christ. Well, let us stand together for our benediction from the Celtic Book of Common Prayer. I'll do the call and you can do the response. Watch and pray. Those who are longing await his appearing. Watch, wait, and listen. Go forth in joy. Amen.